Well, what we're going to do now is we're going to think about uh, that's uh, think about the sermon. Uh, think about the sermon. We're going to have the sermon, and um, it's on Psalm 97, like I, uh, like I, I had earlier. Now, we've been going through this series, and if you'd like to catch up on the previous two in the series, and they are available on my Understand the Bible uh, YouTube channel, and I'll try and remember to put the link to that in the comment uh, down below if you'd like to catch up and watch the last two. But this this uh, this time we're thinking about hatred of sin. Now, have you ever had an event which has revealed someone, you know, um, someone's heart? So, um, you know, I think this this is especially true in a crisis, but you know, maybe there's someone you don't know that well and they come out and do something in a crisis or in a situation like this and you think, ah, oh, I understand them in a way that I didn't before. You know, I can see their character. Perhaps they're, they've got more courage than you thought they had or they're, you know, kinder or, or whatever. And, and you relate to them differently because of the way that you have seen them be different your understanding of them changed and so the way that you related to them changed because you saw that they were you know different so how we we know people and how we understand people changes how we react to them and, and relate to them and it's the same with god you know how we understand god changes the way that we react to god and we relate to him and knowing what god is like is, is really fundamental in the christian life and and that's really what we're thinking about in this psalm, is thinking about what God is like and how that makes a difference to us. What God is like. Now, what I'm going to do is, uh, normally when I do a sermon, I just go, go through it, it all sort of a verse at a time or a, a section at a time. But this time, I'm just going to pick out three things from Psalm 97. And the first thing I want to pick out is to say that God is uh, what God is like. The first thing is what God is like, and he is powerful. And you get this from verse 1. It says, um, the Lord reigns. And then again in verses 4 and 5, it says, his lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. You know, so he is immensely powerful. And then verse 9 again, you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. So God isn't you know, he's, he's in control of everything. He is God over everything, over the, the whole earth, over the whole universe. Um, so God is powerful, but God is also righteous. And we get that uh, again in this psalm. So verse 2, clouds and thick darkness around him, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And then in verse 6, it says the heavens proclaim his righteousness. Uh, and then again in verse 8, it says... Zion hears and rejoices because of your judgments, Lord. So, so the Lord is righteousness. And what this is saying is that God's kingship, you know, God's being king and his righteousness go together. They, they go together. They are inseparable. And um, what is righteousness, you might think? Righteousness is kind of the what it means to know and to understand right and wrong you know to kind of be that um knowing what is right but justice i think is doing what is right and wrong and making right judgments based on that knowledge 
So it's kind of not just knowing the right, but doing the right. Uh, so God always understands what is right and he always does what is right. Those are the things. And he always treats people in accordance with that righteousness. He always treats people rightly. Uh, so that is what God is like. Now, it's interesting here that the psalm uses the image of, uh, of clouds and of, of thick darkness and of lightning because all of those things come up in, um, in Exodus. And you may recall the, the story in Exodus when the, the Israelite people, they have come out of, of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. God brings them to Mount Sinai. And this is a special moment for the people of, of Israel in, in the Bible. This is a, a special moment for them. They're brought to Mount Sinai. And let me just read you a few verses from what it says. This is chapter 19, Exodus 19, verses 16 to, to 19. It says, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. So, very, very similar, isn't it, to that psalm? Very similar to that psalm. Now, what was going on at Mount Sinai? Just read you a few verses from um, the, the next part, by the way, just after this. And this is what it, what it says in chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. When the people saw the thunder and lightning, heard the trumpet, and saw the mountain of smoke, they trembled with fear, and uh, they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, or we'll, we will die. So they are, they are afraid, they, they fear, because they see God. You know, this is the moment... This is the moment in the history of Israel where God reveals himself to the people in a way like he, he never does before or throughout the Old Testament again. This is the you know, kind of the apex, if you like, of the moment. And you can see the people are, are, are afraid because they're, you know, God is right there and they, they see and they hear the voice and they see the smoke and the lightning and so on. They see God's holiness. What does God do in that moment? How does God reveal himself? What does he say? Those of you who know Exodus will know. Exodus chapter 20. It's the giving of the Ten Commandments. That is what happens in, in Exodus 20. That's the moment when people see God's kind of splendour and, and holiness and righteousness. Well, they see his presence in a way that they, they don't throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And that is the moment where God gives them the law. God gives them the Ten Commandments, the way that he wants them to live. And don't you think that's interesting, that God's kind of um, power and splendour and majesty and all of those kind of things are linked with his righteousness. And we see that in Exodus. You know, people see God's majesty, but they also receive the law and, and the Ten Commandments. I think that's fascinating. Um, and, and I think it says something to us about what we see of God. Because if we see God truly, then we not only see his majesty and, and splendour and, you know, his kind of him as the king, but we must also see his holiness. And that's the, uh, the important point to remember from this, that 
No, we, we don't just have to see God as the king. We have to see him as holy as well and see his righteousness, see his justice as well as his, his kind of um, majesty and awe. So the second thing then, how should we respond to God? So we've, we've thought about God being um, king and God being holy and, and righteous. How should we respond to that? And this psalm again is full of some um, words which kind of help us to think about how we should respond to it. And it's maybe not what you'd expect. This is what it says in the psalm, verse 1. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Uh, and then verse 8, it says, Zion hears and rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad. And then verse 12, rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his name. So to be glad and rejoice and, and to praise, that's the way that we should respond to God in his majesty and, and in, as king, but also in terms of his righteousness. Now, it's I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, have you ever rejoiced in God's righteousness before? I'm not sure that I, I have very often. I mean, I think I have on occasion, but most of the songs that we sing, and for example, the first song that we started with, which really picks up on psalms like this, it talks about you know, God's splendour. It talks about the clouds. It took, you know, all those things. It doesn't talk really about God's righteousness. Now, how do we praise God for his righteousness? Something which... Um, I think we often overlook actually when we when we praise God. But that's what the psalm says that we should do. We should praise God for his righteousness. I think, you know, why is it that we often overlook this? And I wonder whether part of the reason is that we just don't care enough about good and evil. You know, we just don't care enough about righteousness ourselves to praise God for it. You know, because we just don't recognise it really as a, as a good thing. But we should. You know, we should recognise that righteousness is a is a good thing. And this is what the psalm comes on to. And this is where we come to the the part of the, um, the doctrine of repentance, because it says let those who love the Lord hate evil. That's what it says that we should do. We should hate evil. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me. I think I'm perhaps this is something which is fairly stereotypically British, but I I don't really like to have strong feelings about anything. You know that um, you know those forms you get where you have to fill out a survey, and you have to say, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how um, you know how much did you enjoy this? And I usually go somewhere in the middle. You know, I sort of lean over a bit to one side. Uh, yeah, maybe a seven or maybe a three, but I'll very rarely go for one or ten. You know, or or um, you know how how strongly do you agree with this statement? You know, very strongly. And as I never go very well, very rarely go very strongly agree. You know, it's a struggle. And you know, these kind of I think it's ingrained certainly in British culture. I think a bit of stiff upper lip. You know, we don't like, you know, having those kind of strong emotions, and we tend to be a bit kind of uptight about these things. Um, but it is right to hate some things, and this is what the Bible says. It is right to hate some things, and. The point is that we need to love and hate like God does. Now, when we come to know God, we need to love what God loves and we need to hate what God hates. And uh, we need to become more like God. You know, when we know him better, as we were thinking about in the first thing, 
then we we become more like him and we take that on ourselves how how he loves how he hates now this is important to say when, when it says hating evil this is not about pointing the finger at everyone else and accusing them of all the evil that they are doing um, I think today's modern social justice movement is a little bit like this um, I don't know if you've come across this before but people online you know particularly I think online culture has this sort of culture of saying this is wrong this is wrong you do that wrong you do that wrong and you know always being kind of pointing out the flaws in other people or in the government or in you know the problem with that is it, it can become a recipe for self-righteousness you're thinking well I'm pointing out all the flaws in other people so I myself am better than all of these other people because I'm not like that and the Bible never lets us get away with that. Now, I think I said this uh, a week or two ago in one of the previous sermons, but, you know, when you point the finger, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. And I think we need to remember that, that actually when God says to hate evil, we first of all need to be people who look at our own hearts and to see actually the evil in ourselves before we see the evil in someone else. And that's the only place really well, that we can actually stand at, in order to criticise anyone or anything else. You know, when we first come to God and recognise and, and hate the evil in ourselves before we come to, to see it in, in others. Um, so that's how we should respond to this. And that the third and final thing is how we should not respond. And in verse 7 of the psalm, it talks about those who worship images and boast in idols, you know, worshipping things or worshipping um, worshiping things which are not God. And uh, we don't really have time to go into this. That's that's how the, the Christian, uh, the, the Bible often talks about it. You know, we worship, all of us worship something. And we either worship God or we worship things which are not God, you know, created things. Some people might worship career or success or some people might worship family or money or there could be lots of things that we worship these days not necessarily kind of little statues like it used to be but it's more uh, insidious I think these days um, but so we should worship God not worship idols and we should uh, at verse 10 it says let those who love the Lord uh, hate evil and uh, we should not do what is wrong it says delivers them from the hands of the wicked so we should seek to do what is right and we should worship God and again you know you see this all the way through the Bible that the worship of God and the doing of what is right go together and when we truly worship God we'll truly want to be like him and when we want to be like him we'll want to do what is right so, you know, some people want to try and, and separate those two things. So, you know, you can worship God and then we can disagree about what's right and wrong and you can do whatever you like, basically. But the, the Bible will not have that. It says, no, when we worship God, we must seek to do what is right. And of course, you know, we all do what is wrong all the time. We, we, we're all sinners. But we must seek to do God's will and submit to him uh, in everything, as we've been thinking about over the past few weeks. So worship and righteousness go together and they should go together as we worship God more throughout our lives we should become more righteous we should see um, you know become more like him basically so let's uh, draw a few threads together as we come to the end of our, 
our morning prayer together and at the end of the sermon. Let's draw a few threads together. Let me read you what it says in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 29. Hebrews 12, verse 29 says this. Uh, actually, I'll read verse 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we worship God with reverence and awe. No, we come to God knowing that he is this kind of amazing and powerful and righteous God. And we should have a right reverence for him, a right reverence not just for his power and majesty, but for his righteousness as well. And we should seek to, the part of what it means to worship God is actually to, to seek to put that into practice in our own lives, you know, to, not just to worship him, but to have that, that righteousness in our own lives as well. And we should seek to love what God loves and to hate what God hates, to become more like him in our lives. Uh, the second thing, though, that we need to do is to, uh, to give thanks. And this is what it says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, and this is the wonderful good news, and this is why we needed to get to, to this point. Because when we love what God loves and hate what God hates, then what, what happens is we start to see things in ourselves which we don't like. You know, we start to see our own sin more. We start to see the way that we don't live up to, to God's standards. We don't do what is right all the time. And actually, you know, and, and I actually um, said this to, to my wife the other day, you know, I'm a pretty horrible person. That's the realisation that you come to when you draw near to God and when you see his ways because you realise that we don't do what is righteous all the time. But the good news is that Jesus died so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now Jesus died so that we could be clothed with that righteousness, so that we could have our sins forgiven, we could be given a new start, and that we could begin to do and, uh, what God wants us to do, to love what God loves, to hate what God hates, and, and do that more and more through his forgiveness, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So I hope that this sermon has kind of helped us think about this. I think the final thing that I wanted to say is just to say that, you know, we proclaim God's righteousness and grace. And, and this is, I talked about the social justice kind of movement at the moment, you know, they're often pointing the finger and saying, you know, how other people are doing things wrong. Well, actually, I think we Christians, you know, sometimes people have the view that we Christians do that too. And I think we need to, to say, you know, God sent his son Jesus to, to die on the cross for, for his enemies, for people who did not live up to his standards, for people who sinned. And, you know, we need to have that same attitude too, you know, of hating evil, but also loving the, the sinner. You know, as they say, um, uh, hate the sin, love the sinner. That's the attitude that God had, and that's what I wanted to leave us with. You know, that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the wonderful good news that we can finish with, that yes, God does hate sin, and we should hate sin too, but God loves the sinner, and he offers a way of being right with God.